Welcome to another episode of the Big MX Radio Podcast. First of all, I really appreciate you listening. No matter where you are around the globe, if you take time to listen to the Big MX Radio Podcast, know that I truly appreciate it and I do these for you. That being said, if you have a request of someone you'd like to hear or a story you'd like to be told on the Big MX Radio Podcast, you can hit me up in the DMs on Instagram in Big MX Radio, as well as Brad Gebhardt 88 You can follow me on both, and I appreciate it if you do. If you're listening to this podcast, the reason why the Big MX, podcast, Big MX Radio podcast exists at all is much to do with Simon Cudby, my guest today. I grew up pouring myself over old magazines, new magazines. I absolutely loved it, and I brought myself closer to it every chance that I got. Unfortunately, being from Canada, the new Racer X and uh, a couple of motocross videos annually is all we really got to immerse ourselves and get our motocross fill. So Simon, having so many great photos in those magazines was absolutely instrumental in allowing me to just get right into the sport uh, and just obsess about it. And, and, that, and this is where we landed today, uh, a podcast where I get to have on one of my heroes within the sport. He's blushing already, even if he, if he doesn't hear about this one, uh, and just being just such an aspiring guy, someone that I could look up to, someone that would make me uh, want to go on and, and record as many podcasts as I have and, and spend as much time as I have on the podcast. I really hope that you guys enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it. Uh, please give me some feedback if you guys have anything to say about it whatsoever. A thumbs up, thumbs down, or anything else in between would be greatly appreciated. Hit me up on a DM. I literally reply to absolutely everybody, especially because I don't really like having notifications to have to check. But that's kind of beside the point. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Already said that. Already repeating myself. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Fox Racing Canada, Fox Motocross in the States. We also have with us tear-off gaskets. You can enter discount code BigMXRadio15. Every single one of your purchases saves you 15% there. Same discount code with Just Live CBD. Go check those guys out. Save 15% on every single one of your purchases with Just Live and discount code BigMXRadio15. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. I'm on all of these podcasts, this being episode 819. They just keep coming. But with us on the line, somebody who I've looked up to for a long period of time, he's already blushing on the other line uh, with me going to roll down a few of his accolades. But you, you'll know him because you've seen his photography everywhere. This guy is absolutely iconic within the, within the sport of motocross and we talked off air and basically just watched the last 20 years of it through his viewfinder of his camera. Uh, countless, he's actually, he knows it off the top of his head how many covers he's got, team shoots, you name it, and stories to go along with it. Simon Cubby, how's it going? Hey, uh, what's up Brad? Well, uh, firstly, yeah, I am blushing at the other end of the line. I mean, uh, you know, pretty humble. And for you to talk about me like that, it's kind of weird, but that's cool. So I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I am totally weird, man, because when everyone else is 
binging through Netflix uh, sitcoms and stuff like that, I'm going back and watching uh, Supercrosses from 1994. So I am a weird guy, but I don't think it's weird uh, to, to really put your work up on a pedestal, man. I know you've been working at it for a long period of time, and you've had a, a ton of uh, great contacts and amazing shots over the years. Uh, uh, I won't even try to ask you to ask for a, like a, your favorite one of all time, but we're definitely going to talk about some iconic shots and some uh, just some eras within the sport that you've worked um but uh before we kind of spin the clocks backwards before we jump in the time machine what's going on with you now i realize i understand you just came back from a trip to california i'm jealous of course being in canada the canadian border is closed and unless you're on essential travel and i don't think that riding your dirt bike although i feel that it's essential i don't think the canadian government yeah, feels so. that way uh but what, what's going on with simon cubby these days well, um, I live in Idaho. Uh, I moved about two and a half years ago from Southern California. Uh, my daughter works for WPS, uh, fly racing, actually doing photography, ironically. Um, so Right, because you guys were a bit of a tag team here. for a while there. Yeah, that's right. So she, my daughter, Shannon, I have a son as well. He's, okay. His name's Callum. He just graduated from Humboldt State University last weekend. So that nice. was cool for him and for us. So we're very proud and proud of my daughter too. But yeah, we, um, she used to come to the races with me. I think it was 2013, uh, 2014 and 2015. Right. She went to all the races. So, you know, 60 races basically with uh, Supergrass Outdoors, Monster Cup. And she would help me with editing images while I was still down on the floor shooting. So it, it was a huge help for me. Um, uh, my, my workload was dramatically reduced when, when Shannon was helping me. And um, it was really good because she got to meet a lot of people and she actually works with uh, Max Steffens over at WPS. And, you know, Max was on the road back then um, and we'd often end up on the same plane. So he knew her and he knew me and she ended up, she ended up luckily enough to get a job there. And she's working with an old friend of mine, Matt Ware, who used to be at Racer X a long time ago. So that's pretty cool. Of course. Um, but yeah, I moved here and um, we had started five years ago, a free digital online magazine called Upshift Online. And it's more about travel and uh, dual sport and adventure bike riding. So, you know, as I was, getting a little bit older I, I was like starting to see things on the outside world you know I, I was plugged into going to all the supercross and all the outdoors and I was on a grind and you know it's like it's like the riders you know they're there they have to be there you can't you can't miss a race you can't take take a couple of weeks off and go somewhere because there's always a race the next weekend so um yeah I mean I was on a bit of a burnout and ended up deciding to change a little bit um still still fully connected with the industry and, and i do a lot of team shoots and that kind of stuff but as far as the week in week out weekend or week in week out grind i'm i'm not i'm not doing that so much anymore so um i'm pr pretty fortunate um i'm in a much happier place now than i was when i was on the on the grind you know um uh, things have changed and uh, Idaho's beautiful. Going going camping this weekend. I'm actually skipping the parlor round this weekend. Uh, we're going camping, riding dirt bikes. Nice. Got some friends up here, and it's it's going to be fun. Yeah. That's awesome. And honestly, congratulations on that. You have put in the time. I can only imagine if we had put a pedometer on you, 
the first year that you you uh, started working the series and to now how many miles you've put on on the on the uh, a pair of boots that you were you've been at the track uh, at, at so many supercrosses so many championship battles that you're basically uh, on the floor for or, or uh, like inside the fence uh, next to nationals the sunburns the, the the amount of sunscreen you've gone through in the last twenty years is pretty epic um, it, it's absolutely amazing to me and the fact that. Uh, I myself seeing like guys like yourself, guys like your your work coming through on the magazines with with Racer X uh, throughout the years, uh, it, it is truly truly amazing. And although um, at some points probably really amazing and and some phenomenal stories that come with it, but like you said, a complete grind. You you get off the plane. Uh, there was. Back in the day, the press day was on Thursday, so you had to fly in early. If you're having portion, you're being part of that. Uh, the the press box or the the photo den is usually in like the dungeon of the, of these stadiums, if there is one, or at, the, at a national, you're dealing with. Uh, Wi-Fi, if there is, even if there is, and in, when you first started, that that word didn't even exist, uh, and, and it's it's absolutely yeah. incre- incredible to see how it's all kind of uh, come around. But uh, I'm glad to hear you're able to sort of shift gears uh, and upshift into uh, into working with that sort of stuff. And would, if it's my understanding that uh, off road and stuff like that is something that you've had uh, your eye on for quite some time, because if I if I remember for as long as I've been following you uh, on on social media is that doing some off-road rides and like going riding with guys like Troy Lee and stuff like that has been something that you've enjoyed for quite some time now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, (laughs) without sounding negative, you know, it's like when you get a, everyone wants a job in the moto industry, right? So once you get in there, you end up riding less and less. Yeah. um, I try to make the deeper you are, the less you ride. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't grow up riding moto. I mean, I grew up in England and, you know, it wasn't really on the radar because nobody really had any money for that kind of thing. So, um, you know, we were, we were, we'd have 10 speeds and all that kind of stuff. And I actually didn't throw my leg over a, a legit dirt bike until I was 30. So I started late and, um, you know, we, we'd go out to Elsinore track when it, when it first opened in California, we'd, <laughs> we'd go to Glen Helen on a Thursday back when we started riding and we'd be riding around on 125s and you know Damon Huffman's flying over your head and McGrath you know it's just like we had no idea what what we were in for you know so um but but yeah I mean riding riding these days is is a lot more fun for me um I'm like a lot of guys in there over who are over 50 where it's like yeah I don't really want to go to the track anymore because it's dangerous. It's more dangerous. You know, the older you get, the longer it takes to heal and the tracks over 20 years have kind of evolved into a bit, a bit more, um, hairy than they used to be, you know? So I have a lot more fun. Um, my bike of my bike I have now is a Husky 300 two stroke TPI and for riding the Idaho single track up here, it's, it's just amazing. You know, you think, oh, I need a 450 or a 500. Well, well, up here, it's the, the 300's the bike to have for sure. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I've always gone out to the desert with when the kids were younger. We'd go out trail riding and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, my life since I, since I turned 30 and started riding, it's, it's pretty much changed dramatically. Yeah, for sure. 
definitely. And, and uh, like a, uh, a roster of riders that have come and gone in that time is, is pretty ridiculous as well. Um, what made you get onto a motocross bike in the first place instead of start going out to places like Glen Helen? And, and uh, I imagine that's probably around like 1994 or five, I suppose, if, if, uh, if Damon Huffman's in, in that uh, category. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much right on the money there. I think it was um, 95. So we okay. had um, we had a small ad agency in the 90s, uh, me and a couple other guys, and we were specifically doing mountain bike stuff because that, you know, the early to mid 90s mountain bike industry was really taking off. And, yeah, huge. Um, yeah. Especially we had a, we in had California. Friend, my, yeah, exactly. So my friend... Uh, we had a friend, his name was Kim Boyle, and he was working for Vans, and he was sort of like an action sports guy, you know, doing Vans snowboard boots, all that kind of stuff. And he he rolled up to our um, studio place that we had, and he had a a black and white CRT50 in the back of his truck. And we, I was like, wow, that thing's amazing. And this is before, like, freestyle was taking off or anything, and he had sort of this, uh, you know, the bike had black rims, and it just it looked like a CHP dirt bike you know it was it was really cool but we we all decided like okay we're getting dirt bikes and my other two partners there hadn't ridden before and we had another buddy that had ridden so sort of the four or five of us ended up starting to starting to go ride and it it was really fun because uh i'd never done it before i'd kind of you know growing up in england i'd see it on tv and see these guys jumping off big jumps and i'm like man that's incredible but it was never even a thought that i would ever actually end up riding you know so we bought these bikes and we'd go out and we'd ride like really bad trails out in Elsinore and then you know once in a while we'd go to the tracks and it was fun and uh yeah I mean that that's how I started basically was we were we were doing mountain bike stuff and then we gradually graduated into into the motocross thing and then uh our little agency sort of folded up in 96 I think and I got a job at GT Bicycles still doing bicycle stuff so um i was doing uh, all their studio work and all the action stuff going to some of the races and and shooting that and uh i ended up meeting the guys from axo sport and um they were actually distributing renthal products at the same at the time and my i don't know if you know todd huffman he's a video uh video producer now and right okay sort of a, a, a historic motocross guy and uh todd was the marketing guy at gt bikes and one day he introduced me to the axo guys and todd's like oh you should you should use simon so i went to supercross i think it was orlando in 96 was my first race and uh um sort of didn't look back from there you know over over the next few years i was shooting some stuff for them and back then it wasn't like you'd go to every single race because there wasn't a need for uh so many images you know because back then it was like brochure images which are, you know, once or twice a year and then add images that they might need a new photo every month. So you could go to five or six races and get a library of images and clients, clients could, could use them, you know, but, uh, these days it's obviously a lot different with social media. There's a huge need for, for a lot of photography, you know? No kidding. They need, they need uh, 50 images every, uh, every hour on the hour nowadays. Uh, so yeah. 1996, of course, uh, McGrath in his heyday. Uh, what are you shooting with, uh, like, uh, equipment wise, where did that evolve from working with, uh, like with 
with mountain bikes, like uh, I imagine that like your uh, it's uh, I believe the term is called gas gear acquisition syndrome had been like all full blown by then, and, and you're you're wide open into it. If you could, for some maybe some there's some photography uh, uh, enthusiasts who are listening who uh, who might be interested in some of uh, some of the stuff that you started with and sort of on uh, some like in 1996 what you were originally shooting with. Well, yeah, that's a that's a good question. You know, I I might step back a couple of years. Go for it. If that's cool and that'll give you an idea. So I was I wasn't really an action photographer when I started. I I was a photo assistant doing studio stuff with some car photographers and you know, we we were shooting 4x5 transparency film or 8x10 transparency film. So okay. that's you know, transparency film is like the little 35 millimeter slide you have, but it's, yep. it's like a sheet of paper. It's huge. And the quality is incredible. So we'd shoot with that kind of stuff. And I, I was sort of, uh, I'd been to school in England for photography and sort of, I, I had a good handle on the, the technical parts of it, you know? Um, and then I was working with one photographer and his studio manager one day, she was like, Hey, I, I had this outside job tomorrow but i can't do it can can you go shoot it for me and so i went i went and it was basically this this guy that had a small agency doing mountain bike stuff and that's how sort of the mountain bike thing started um but then you know as as i progressed on i mean i had all my own gear back then i i was a canon guy to start with although i shoot with nikon now um i was a canon guy but i had more more like medium format and large format cameras so i had I had two Hasselblads with multiple lenses, a bunch of film backs, and they would shoot two and a quarter square transparencies, you know? Right. So, but, so I actually went to a lot of the Norba National Mountain Bike Races in 1994, and I knew that I didn't have a very good 35-millimeter setup. And this is before, like, really good autofocus and all this kind of technical stuff that helps you. So um, I decided to shoot some of these races with this two and a quarter square Hasselblad stuff. So the quality was really good. And, you know, if you're printing a two page spread in a magazine or a poster, like the, the images are just so much better yeah. than 35 millimeter film, you know? So For, and, yeah, especially when you, the, the bigger you blow it up, the, the more imperfections you see, like shooting with that would have allowed yeah. you to actually really set yourself apart uh, almost immediately. Yeah. yeah. And you, there was technical stuff too. Like you could, you could synchronize if you're using a strobe. You could synchronize the fill flash at 500th of a second because of the design of the leaf shutter in the camera. So that was a big step too. So I could use fill flash, and um, that that sort of changed the game a little bit for me. And then when I started shooting motocross, I stepped up to uh, I had a Canon. I think it was EOS 1N was was their sort of top of the line film camera. And back then, I think the body was like. 1500 or 1600 bucks mm -hmm. and you know you talk you talk about a good quality pro digital camera these days and they're six grand you know so yeah for the camera body even though back then that's no yeah, lens on that yeah, exactly no <laughs> lens so it was funny because like the first race that i went to with axo in in 96 for supercross I had a 70 to 200 zoom and i'm like oh this is fine and they're like no no, no you need you need a 300 millimeter lens and i was like sort of looking at the prices and they were five grand and I was like, oh man, how's that going to work? So I found a super clean used one for probably, I don't know, 2,500 bucks and I bought that and 
it was a game changer. I mean, that the 300 millimeter lens is is the go-to lens for motocross because you it know really it gives is. you that that compression. You know the 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 compression of the perspective, plus you don't have to be super close. And I don't know, it's it's just it became like the the go-to lens. So so yeah, to answer your question, yeah, Canon EOS one in couple film couple bodies like that, and then. I had a 300 28 Canon lens, which is like the cool white lens that you always see the sports photographers using on the sidelines at football games and stuff. So, um, like I say, yeah, once I got that stuff, it was it was a game changer as far as the image quality and that. And, you know, I get people still today like, oh, what camera can I get to get photos like you do? And I'm like, well, you know, it's going to be 10 or 12 grand to get this this body and this lens, you know. And, and you got to know how to use it. The, <laughs> yeah right, right <laughs> they're, sure. they're not just well, point and shoot well that's that's what's different about digital you can you can your your uh education or your your learning rate is very rapid with a digital camera because you can see exactly what you're shooting yeah, immediately, film, yeah. obviously a, yeah a film you couldn't see what you're shooting you had to nail it and you're shooting slide film so the the latitude for exposure is very narrow, so you have to kind of nail it every time, you know. So, and it costs you money every time you hit the button because you got to get the film processed. So, yeah, it was different back then for sure. Oh, absolutely! Like uh, any any stories you can remember of like getting things uh, developed and like either you thought you had something amazing and you're way overexposed or way underexposed, like that can like. And in situations like that, like, were you able to ever save images uh, through the editing process or, or uh, kind of in the afterwards? Or how did that work back then? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you had, a, had to, you know, the better you got, the better your sort of ratio of keepers were, you know. So you're shooting a roll of 36 slide film and, you know, you're hoping that, especially like shooting with a 300 millimeter lens, the, the depth of field is very narrow. So... You know, you're you're relying on the the, the technology there with uh, with you know the Canon autofocus technology is really good, so it's the Nikon stuff. So you're kind of relying on that a lot, to be honest. But um, yeah, I mean, the amount of keeper, you know, saving stuff after the fact isn't really a thing with cut with slide film or color transparency film because what you're looking at is kind of the final product. It's not like when you shoot a color negative, then you can print it a bit lighter or print it a bit darker. Like the slide that you're looking at, that's kind of like what it's going to look like. So if it's blown out, overexposed or super dark, you probably wouldn't even send it, you know? So, really? Okay. But you, yeah. So, um, I mean, when we were shooting studio stuff, we'd actually put a Polaroid back on the larger format cameras to check exposure because you know, you got a lot of work into a studio photo and you want to make sure the lighting's right and the exposure's right so that when you put your film your film back onto the camera that you know exactly where where you, where you need to be, you know? Yeah, you, you do not want to get that wrong. It's a lot of time and a lot of work uh, to have that stuff yeah. set up. Um, what was your learning curve like shooting motocross? Um, like similar in some ways to uh, to mountain biking, but not quite the. Uh, um, like you're in stadiums for one, which is uh, for all intents and purposes horrible lighting. Um, and, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then outdoors, you're dealing with shadows and everything else that comes along with that, uh, as well as the speed and everything else that's coming along with it. 
um, like you obviously your, your photography stood out uh, almost right away, but you must have still had uh, a learning curve to become the Simon Kedby that people uh, have come to uh, expect some really impressive photos from. Uh, and I've even seen like uh, the the quality and some of the like the angles of some of your photos uh, improve over the years. How did that happen for you? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you're going to the race, you're shooting a ton of film. You you know, if if I was to look back to what I shot in Orlando. I know that AXO used a lot of stuff from daytime practice because they're looking at, you know, the the new gear. They want they want the the color and the lighting. And plus when you're shooting with a three hundred lens. Actually I, I when I said earlier I had a seventy to two hundred, I think I had a three hundred at that time as well. Okay. So when when you're shooting with a three hundred you can throw the background out of focus. So, you know, there might be some empty seats back there, but you know, they're they're way they're very blurry. Um and then the nighttime stuff was was pretty challenging. You'd end up possibly shooting with a shorter lens, like a seventy to two hundred. And as as sort of the couple years went by, you end up with these more sort of extravagant strobe setups, like big reflectors and all this kind of stuff, just to throw the light a little bit further, you know, so that you could be a bit further away and maybe use a longer lens for that for that cool cool compression, you know, but you're dealing a I mean, I, I would shoot a lot of stuff on manual exposure, obviously manual exposure on the camera, but manual exposure on the strobe too. I'm like going, okay, yeah, this turn, this guy's going to be 30 feet away from me. Okay. I'm looking at the dial. Okay. 30 feet at a hundred ISO. Okay. I need to be at, you know, 5.6 at half power. And then I shoot it and it, I hope, I hope for the best kind of thing. But usually those, those, numbers were pretty accurate you know you the flash output was was pretty consistent if you're on half power and the guy's 30 feet away okay i can set it at this setting and it's going to be good you know so uh that's how that went and then you know over the years i i think i mean i just i just didn't really look at anyone else's stuff i mean i just did my own thing and that's I interesting lucky, actually. yeah i was lucky enough to have people like it so i wasn't, I wasn't looking at someone else's stuff and going oh i'm going to shoot like that you know i just did my own thing and i don't know it kind of kind of looked cool and actually the mechanic the the Renthal axo guys that i met they went on to start mechanics square and i'd go to daytona 500 every year for those guys to shoot and shooting pit stops and all that stuff because they made they made gloves and mechanics stuff like knee pads and some right. shoes so you know it was pretty cool because i could look at look at the racing from a different angle you know i was looking at it from a from a pit crew kind of guy thing and i didn't have to shoot the cars going around in a circle you know so i was i was but i shoot that stuff and again I was just looking at stuff and looking through the camera going, yeah, I think that's cool. And they'd shoot it and they liked it and that was good, you know? So that's how, that's how that went anyway. Okay. That is a bit of a gift. Obviously that might not be something that you have just this innate ability to pass on to somebody, but uh, over the years, I'd imagine you've probably been asked for like, a lot of technical tips and stuff like that. What do you tell people? What do you, what, what kind of feedback do you give people and, uh, and, and sort of, um, like how do people go about uh, approaching you about that sort of thing yeah i mean um uh, it's pretty funny like so there's a there's a 
a kid. I call him a kid. He's not a kid anymore. It's Spencer Owens. Uh, he's been he's on the podcast. California. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a great kid, and you know he came up to me at uh, I think it was San Diego Supercross. I was walking the pits actually with my daughter, so it was probably 2014 or 2015. And he came up to me and he's he's like, hey, I, you know, how do I how do I get involved in this? What do I need to do? And you know it. It, it stood out to me that he came up to me and was asking me asking me questions. Because so some people don't, they just don't come up and ask you, you know, because they think you're not going to answer them or something. But anyway, um, he came up and you know we were talking about stuff, and I think we connected a week or two later on the phone, and we were talking about stuff, and he, I could tell he wanted to get into it, but you know that was a, that's at the time, and it's the same now where it's like unless you're going to every single race and you. You know, like KTM, they have they have a contract with with a line, so they're not really using anyone else for photos. So it's hard for a new guy to come and just start start making a living doing it because a lot of these accounts are kind of sewn up at, on a season long basis. You know, so um, unless you can, you know, like I think Spencer got we got him a credential for one of the outdoors or something, and. You know, Davey, at, Davey Coombs at Racer X is a huge uh, influence for me and a huge um, mentor for me, you know, through, throughout, throughout the years. And I always wondered why, you know, I'd go to Glen Helen and I'd be shooting for Racer X and then there'd be eight other guys there shooting for Racer X. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. I thought I was shooting for Racer X. And then the magazine would come out and they were already paying me, so they'd use the majority of my photos, but... I think my point is that, you know, Davey was really great because he always give he would always give people a chance. You know, he might find the next guy, and that that's cool. You know, and that's I think that's how I got got in with those guys as well. You know, they they gave me a chance, and you know, I think it paid off for for both of us. You know, totally agree. And the first person to personally hand me a press credential was Davey Coombs, and he's still uh, a yeah. friend to this day. I can I can text him. He'll get back to me within a day or so. He's been on the podcast a number of times. And uh, someone who um, I think he, he gives opportunities like that because he was given opportunities like that. I think of a young yeah. man who is probably – double as enthralled with the sport of motocross as I am who was willing to uh like do all things necessary to bring himself closer to the sport cover it the best way he knew how whether that was uh he did play-by-play -play announcing he did color announcing he did he was on the floor he's taken photos he's written articles you name it uh, Davey's done that, and uh, and and, yeah. and that really speaks volumes to uh, his ability to um, to give people that that chance. And like you said, like yeah, you're shorting for Racer X, but he, uh, I think he he searches for um, maybe those other diamonds in the rough, somebody else to give an opportunity yeah. to that they might take that opportunity and really soar with it. And uh, and and clearly he did the same thing with you, and uh, uh, it turned itself into uh, I don't know how about uh, 50, 60 covers, or probably more than that. For me, yeah, <laughs> on Racer X, <laughs> it's more than that. I think I, I don't pay attention to. Well, I do pay attention. Like it comes out, and I was, I'd be happy if I got a cover. But then one day I'm like, mm, I'm like start counting, and this is a year or two ago, and I think it was up to like 165 or something like that. So um, roughly 165. That, <laughs> that's just with Racer X. So yeah, I, you know. I'd have some stuff like there was uh, Moto magazine in England. I I got 
some covers there and some Australian magazines like Transmodo and okay. uh, Australasian Dirt Bike, ADB. So there's some, there's some other stuff there, but, you know, the story that, with Davey, which, which is, you know, without getting kind of weird, it's, I mean, changed my life meeting, meeting him and meeting the Racer X crew. You know, I, I went to, you know, I'm, I'm so like 96, 97, I was sort of dipping my toe in moto. I was still doing mountain bike stuff for GT. And as GT's uh, company got bought out and then there was a bankruptcy for them and it got kind of weird, like 99 or 2000. Well, in that time, I had started to shoot more moto stuff. And um, I was at San Diego Supercross and my good friend, Eric Johnson, was sitting on a hay bale waiting for practice. And I didn't, like, I didn't, I didn't really know anyone back then. I was like, I, I, and I still, funnily enough, kind of, I've always considered myself an outsider from the industry because I didn't grow up with it. I didn't, you know, all these guys before, before McGrath and Emig and that, I, I didn't really know much about motocross, you know? So, um, I think, and that's what kind of helped me a little bit because I wasn't, I wasn't a fanboy, you know, yeah. I was just like, you were trying to get autographs, trying to get pictures. It. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm doing my work and I'm trying to be, a, I'm trying to be a photographer. Um, and to, to back up a little bit to what you said earlier about what, what, if somebody asked me about photography, what I would tell them, I would say, okay, if you want to be a photographer, be a photographer, go and assist for local photographers in your town or your city. You know, and if this guy shoots architecture, go, go work with him. And if this, if this person shoots weddings, go shoot with them. And if this person shoots product studio stuff, go do that. And you'll, you'll absorb all this information. And then, then if you end up doing motocross stuff, then, Oh, you know, that's, that's great for you, but you got to decide whether you want to be a photographer or a motocross person that shoots photos, you know? So that, that was a big deal for me. Um, but yeah, going back to, I think it was 99, I met Eric Johnson at a uh, San Diego Supercross and I kind of keep myself to myself. Like I say, I didn't really know anyone. I, I, I kind of knew, I knew some of the riders. I knew Jeremy and I knew because I'd done some stuff with GT bikes with him in the past. And right. we saw, you know, uh, Hey, what's Randy up? Lawrence kind of connection thing. there. Yeah. Randy Lawrence. Exactly. And you know, those guys were all into BMX and GT was a huge BMX company. Um, so I'd done photo shoots with those guys and that, but you know, I met Eric Johnson before practice at San Diego Supercross. And I, like I say, I was kind of didn't know anyone. I kept to myself to myself. And I actually was like, I've seen that guy around. I don't really know who he is, but I'm going to go talk to him. So I'm like, Hey, what's up? And he, he, you know, Eric's, you know, how, as I've got to know him over the years, he's kind of a bit like that too. He's a little yeah, bit Yeah, I was going to say, how the hell did you guys start talking? Cause you guys are too, maybe yeah, the two so most we, bashful people I've yeah, ever met. Yeah, we started talking. <laughs> yeah he started talking and he's like he's like hey man we, we we do this magazine racer x and you know send us some of your stuff so i was like okay and then back then i was you know pre pre-digital i'm still shooting film so it was either like send a bunch of slides over there or i had come up with this other uh, genius <laughs> madcap scheme to scan photos with a nikon scanner and send stuff on on cd or dvd to to people and you know they'd, they'd sit there and open them up but these files were huge and uh i after the race i that week i got my got my slides back and i scanned a bunch in and i put a fedex package together with you know five or six dvds and each dvd only had 
20 or 30 shots on because the files were pretty big. Yeah. Anyway, the story goes, Davey got the CDs and he's, or the DVD, I can't remember. It was one or the other, CD or DVD anyway. And he's sitting over the shoulder of the art director, David Langren at Racer X back in West Virginia. And he's waiting and, you know, he put the, put the disc in and waiting because the computers were slow and the discs were slow. Everything was slow back then. And Davey's like waiting and waiting. And then this McGrath image image pops up and he's like okay that's the cover and i was like he told me that i was like are you serious he's like yeah that's exactly what happened so that was my first racer x cover a shot of jeremy from anaheim and it was in practice and he's jumping the finish line and he's got like this american flag on the back and the you know the sort of cyan and black no fear gear and yeah just super super clean so uh that's how i met those guys and you know i i owe it all to to Davy Coombs and Eric Johnson and the Coombs family. And, you know, like I say, you know, it, it, it's a bit, it's a bit sappy, but yeah, I owe, I owe those guys everything. You know, they, they gave me a chance and I, I busted my butt for them. And I, you know, I actually went riding with Davy two weeks ago because uh, Jeff Stanton has these new um, adventure tours in Michigan. Okay, yeah, that's right. And yeah, so I went and hung out with Davy for a couple of days and we, you know, it's, I haven't seen him for a while because of COVID and all that, but it was just like, you know, he's like my brother, you know. I've got four or five people in my life like that, and Davey's one of them. And Eric, Eric's one of them, and, you know, we talk about our kids, and we, you know, I can ask him questions, and he know he, he trusts me, and I trust him, and it's just it's just good, you know. That's awesome, man. I'm so glad to hear that. And, yeah, like, um, honestly, like, you're talking about, like, a, a, a trio there – in, in my opinion, or at least like my perception growing up, is that that's just a, a legendary character of guys. I think of uh, someone who, I don't know if somebody has a better grasp of the spoken word and even the written word than Eric when it, when he when he's really on. I think some of his articles are, are maybe some of the the most thought provoking and, and emotionally. Um, charged pieces of uh, literature that the the sport has uh, and then combine that with some of the most iconic images within the last 30 years of motocross uh, in your work all culminated in, uh, in in a publication that uh, like the, the master puppeteer over there is Davey and, and basically yeah. bringing all those elements together in a time when and there's people who might be listening to this that are, are younger they didn't grow up in that era is that you got a magazine uh, on say it was the the first weekend first week of the month like that magazine was on your your table for the entire month you didn't have a, the the next thing to scroll to you had to leaf through it yeah. my my thing was always to go backwards to front I don't know why uh, my dad taught me <laughs> to do it that way so you basically because they always put ads in the back in the front in the front yeah the yeah, first the, front. the first few spreads yeah right so you always go I always went back to front so that I'd basically skip the ads and read all the articles. Uh, that was his little trick. And, and I just got totally engulfed in that stuff. And I like, I I'd read it once and I'd pick it up again and read it back through again and again. And, and, and you just became so like attached to those things that you'd get every single month. And, uh, uh, I think it was just such a cool thing to, um, to be a part of and, and be in the sport during that time. And it's the same thing that I, I talked to, um, uh, Bruce Hackinson, uh, who actually he does uh, throttle time pieces I had him on my, my last show is that we grew up with like the a mo- one motocross video or maybe two motocross videos that came out every single year and you'd play that thing until she broke 
And, and nowadays, the, there's so much content that everyone is able to take pictures or video on their phone. That's it's it's so disposable. There's so much content you wouldn't even know what to focus on, right? Well, back then, you knew exactly what to focus on, and it was a Racer X magazine. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you uh, parallel it with the music industry, for example, you know, back then there was you know the the top twenty charts, and you kind of the the good music sort of rose to the top, right? And so you you had exactly. a place to go to find that stuff. Whereas now, like if I go on Apple Music or something and look for music, I have no idea. And it's just like you you can't find you can't find the really good stuff because you don't know where to look anymore, you know? So it's kinda like that. And you know, going back, you know, Eric Johnson you know, back in back in when I started shooting with those guys, Eric and I were in California and then Davey and the rest of the crew were back in West Virginia. Right. So Eric and I, we'd be running all over the place shooting stuff. We'd We'd go and shoot the Meta Militia up in LA and we'd go and shoot a, a cool portrait of some rider that wasn't, you know, wasn't like a, um, a racing shot. You know, it was like somebody at their house or, or somebody in front of an old street sign or something like that. And, um, you know, that was their deal was the, the, the lifestyle of motor, motocross and racing rather than just pure racing and, and bike tests, you know. So, um, and Eric... Eric came from a uh, advertising agency background and he's really, really smart. And he, he was a guy that got companies like Etnies and, you know, sort of these the DVS shoes and all these guys to advertise in, in a motorcycle magazine. You know, he, he did a lot of that stuff, a lot of that footwork, getting these sort of uh, companies from outside the industry to, to see how cool motocross and supercross was and, and want to be involved with it so uh yeah we did a lot of running around and we even talk about it to this day like the amount of stuff we've done just he and i together in california and then you know i've been on a lot of trips with davey i think one of my favorite trips that we did was 2005 motocross of nations in ernay in yeah. france and you know we all went out like three or four days earlier and you know you're you're on a trip and you're with you know mitch payton and jeff cernick and all you know Wyndham was on the team and Tedesco and Carmichael and kind of I was at that point in my career that I knew everyone I knew all those guys and I I all you know suddenly I felt like I was on the inside now you know and um I could go into the rigs and Mitch would you know Mitch would be like hey what's up and you know you talk about what's going on today that kind of stuff whereas you know when I started I I didn't know anyone and I was like I say, on the outside. So, um, mm -hmm. but that's fly on the wall. amazing. Yeah, exactly. And that, I think that's, that was what was good for me is cause I, I didn't have any sort of, uh, I had no conflicts. I could just focus on doing the photography and not worry about any of the pot. Cause I didn't know any of the politics or any of the people or anything. I just, just I was just doing photography there, you know, so that was, that was good for me. But as the years went on and years passed, you get to know all the personalities and, you know, you realize that, that most of the people you're dealing with are really, really good people. You know, um, a lot, you know, all the riders I've ever worked with have been great and accepting. And, um, we've actually, we've got an upshift thing we're doing the end of July with, with Ricky Carmichael up in Idaho here on adventure bikes. We're going to go ride for four or five days. And That's cool. Do a mat. Yeah. Do a magazine story. And it's, it's neat to see like, you know, we got, I got involved in this stuff 
five or six years ago, I bought my first adventure bike, big KTM 1190. And now I'm because I wanted to travel and go see places. And now when I see, you know, like Jeff Stanton doing his tours and Ricky Carmichael and, you know, it, it's neat to see those guys. And, you know, we went on, we went on some rides with Grant Langston and it's just cool to see those guys into off-road stuff and, and realize that what I decided to do five years ago has been good because it's not it's not such a leap from from the motocross industry into into sort of travel and dual sport stuff you know absolutely those two worlds maybe have never been closer as far as that sort of venn diagram of where they kind of cross over i think of i've talked to many guys in this podcast in the past of just like 20 years ago like riding off road for all intents and purposes, wasn't cool. The The scenery was still there. I don't know if the trails were there, but like the equipment wasn't eye-catching. It wasn't sleek. They didn't have a lot of the, the main brands uh, putting a huge amount of effort in. Nowadays, like whether it be Fox or Fly, like they, they put a serious amount of effort into not only the protection, but also the style and, and just the experience and all the, like the, uh, the add-ons that make riding off-road uh, a really viable way to just enjoy motorcycling and i think that's where we kind of sometimes we forget why we love uh, riding dirt bikes is it's a motorcycle you, you can see the world from yeah. the seat of a motorcycle and, and and i think people are really really starting to get uh, comfortable with that idea um and honestly great foresight on, on your part to sort of start to see that with in the last five years of how much people are now spending time to uh follow the gncc series and actually go on these adventure bike rides uh and stuff like that it, i see stuff like that popping up more and more and more every single year yeah, I mean, you make a good point. You know, there's there's established companies in off road. You know, like Climb is a right. is an Idaho company, and Climb gear is, you know, it's really really good. It's expensive, but you get what you pay for. So, you know, I've I've got a, one of my Climb jerseys. I think I've had it for three years, and we go riding off road at least a couple of times a month. So I, yeah, and off road I've worn that thing. Yeah, I've worn that thing over fifty times, and it's 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 fine. You know. Um, but you know, there's companies like Fox, uh, Fly, uh, and Troy Lee. You know, they're all sort of into it now. And they, you know, with Upshift, um, you know, Fox is making a big push in, into off-road, and they're spending. You know, back back five years ago, it was like, oh, we just need to make a jacket and some some heavier duty pants, and that call it a yeah. day. And now we've got we got a pair of over the boot but, pants for you. They're black. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But now it's like it's much more technical and there's like riding vests that have pockets in and, you know, well, how big do you want the riding vest to be? How long are you going to be riding? And, you know, riding in California, you know, it's either hot or not quite so hot. Whereas you come to Idaho, it's like <laughs> it's, you know, you start riding, it's 35 degrees and you end, you know, you end at 50, 50 degrees. But then in the in the summer, you know, it's 45 and then it goes up to 85. So you've got this wide range of temperatures and you have to be prepared for that you've got to have the right layers and you know if you were if you're riding the 300 up in the trees it's it's you know you've got to have an under protector on and that's going to get hot so there's all these things and you've got to have tools and you've got to have food and you've got to, got to bring water so it's, i think i just think it's interesting you know you're, you're you're definitely out there and you're vulnerable like if you go out there and if you go to glen helen and your bike breaks you just push it down the road back to your truck but you go out here and your bike breaks you've got to 
you got to be prepared to to get it out of there. So, you know, the the guys I ride with up here, I mean, they I didn't go last weekend because I was in California, but they all went up to this Deadwood Lake area, mm-hmm. and you're way up there. The first time I rode it, I was I was terrified. We're on this big sort of riding along this side hill, and I'm like, if my bike goes off there. I'm not seeing my bike again. It's gone, you know. So they went up last weekend and they mounted chainsaws on their bikes and they go up there and they clear all the all the um, fallen trees from the winter and, and the weather and the snow up there. So this is all kind of stuff that I'd never seen before, you know. Living in Southern California, you're like, oh, we're going to go to Ocotillo Wells and ride dirt bikes. And that's off-road. But, you know, off-road bikes and, and adventure travel, it, it's, it's much bigger than that. We actually... Uh, went to Iceland a couple of years ago and we're going again, actually in a couple of weeks, which is going to be amazing. But we went a couple of years ago and the guy that was doing the tour, he had, he had upshift there to help promote his tour. So it was me and my buddy. And then he had these other two guys there, um, a British guy who was like a tour operator there that was going to float people to this guy to do these motorcycle tours. And then this other guy was a journalist and another British guy. And, it was actually, I think that it, I think it was the weekend that Millville was on and Tomac was going to clinch the title or something. And me and my buddy, Randy Commons, who goes with us on all these upshift rides, we were like, oh, today, you know, Tomac can clinch the title today. And we asked the other two British guys, we're like, hey, do you, you know, do you know Eli Tomac? Do you follow motocross? And they had no idea what we were talking about. So I was like, how is that possible? So you start to realize there is a bigger world out there than just supercross and motocross and racetracks. You know, there's a lot of people riding dirt bikes, you know, not, not, not street motorcycles, but dirt bikes. And they, they don't follow racing at all. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. And, and uh, it was a bit of an eye opener for us when they said they hadn't heard of Eli Tomac, you know? Yeah, no kidding. A, a guy who's who's probably name comes across your lips like uh, on a weekly basis. Other people are completely unaware of his existence. Which uh, when you kind of like kind of step off the the merry go round that is motocross, and I call it a merry go round because it's not a roller coaster because it's like literally rinse, lad, repeat. Get on the airplane, land in a in a airport that you're somewhat familiar in, get in a rental car that. You you kind of know where you're going. Get get to the hotel, take photos, back to the airport, and then back home on a regular basis. Um, being able to sort of remove yourself from that has that given you like a completely different perspective uh, on like sort of that uh, like the the circuit that is outdoors and supercross and 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 back over again. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, without again without sounding <laughs> without sounding negative. <laughs> It's it's a real eye opener when you when you leave because, you know, I was I had a, I had a lot of clients and I was I was, you know, fully invested in it. You know, so I was I was on the road all the time. And then when I left, you re- you realize that there is there is life after racing and you can still ride a dirt bike and still have a lot more fun because you're not on a on an airplane every week like I said. So yeah, I mean it was it was definitely definitely an eye-opener and um i've really come to enjoy what i'm doing now and being able to tie because before i ever shot motorcycles or mountain bikes back in the 90s i was really into landscape photography and my wife and i would go out to utah and you know look at look at these amazing places and i'd bring like the large format camera and shoot all these artsy photos and 
now being able to integrate that with having a motorcycle in the photo it's it's been pretty cool i i it's challenging for me because you know you go ride you go ride on the trip and you don't really know what's around the next corner so we did this trip to california like i say last weekend and we didn't really know what it was going to look like we had an idea that it was going to be good but so you, you take off in the morning on your bike and i had a couple cameras with me and you know all, all, there was three of us and it was just you come back at the end of the day and you're like man that was cool we saw some cool stuff we saw some mountains and snow and deer and i mean it was just it's just neat you know it's it's sort of feels feels like your life is a bit more fulfilled than than the circus that i was on and i'm not knocking moto or supercross in any way shape or form and i think it's amazing it's it's a fantastic sport and as a photographer it's probably it was so much more um easier for me to shoot motocross the mountain bike stuff because you just just the sheer number of times you see the riders you know <laughs> and the, <laughs> they're coming the back around a lot of, it's not a downhill yeah the bike yeah exactly the bikes have a lot of mass that the camera can lock onto and the colorful gear and there's a ton of clients in that industry you know a tire company or a handlebar company or helmets or gear or goggles or the bikes and you know so there's a big opportunity there to make money um but but as a but as a a form of something you want to that's exciting to shoot photos off it doesn't get much better than motocross that's for sure Oh, I couldn't agree more. Like I, I've stood on the floor and, and taken photos, uh, and like I said off air, sometimes I'd have to rewatch the race to figure out what happened. But to be so close yeah. and the the how spectacular it is, and you don't fully get their perspective of just how fast and how talented these guys are, and how the speed that they're executing some of the maneuvers that they do uh, on the track until uh, your track side and you see these guys wheel tapping something in, before they go wide open throttle uh, into the face of a triple um and then throw the bike sideways on top of that it's just uh, i'm thinking of josh grant specifically um but uh like just <laughs> yeah. be, being able to to do that is just such a fantastic thing um I, i'm like i don't wonder if like like throughout all that some of the memories that you had like you you're like the kind of the the beginning and the bulk of your career literally mirror image with a guy like Ricky Carmichael. Literally, you're on scene for the first time in 1996. He has his first national at the tail end of 1996. His rise to greatness and the way he bows out, basically still the the best in the business, uh, untouched, went on on top, which I don't think too many guys in motocross can actually say. Um, your, I asked, what, what was your perspective of seeing him him sort of like find his groove as a professional uh and be as dominant and as he was and uh like um you have uh, a couple uh, over 100 covers with racer x i imagine probably uh 10 20 of them were with rc yeah um can i can't comment on that i don't know how many that would be with with ricky but i mean i i first met him um with Scott Taylor, who was Ricky's Ricky's guy, and Scott Scott was working for AXO. Okay. So this was, I think, '96, and they hired me to go to Loretta Lynn's, and Ricky was racing there. And like, like I say, I I didn't really know much about these guys or 
who was next, but I'd heard this buzz about this guy, and when I saw him ride, I was like, wow, he's really good. Uh, well, mind you, everyone was really good to me back then because I just started riding myself. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, Loretta's, and I saw him, and he was wearing AXO gear, and you know that was bef- it, um, that was before, I think he, and then he switched to Fox or something because he had yeah. an AXO contract. Yeah, and then when he with when the he, Pro I Circuit, he had to wear AXO for two years in '97 and '98, exactly. and because uh, yep. he had moved up to the 250 class for '99, uh, it's one yep. of only two times that uh, uh, Carmichael and Pashon, where uh, uh, Mitch Payton allowed them not to wear the team gear uh, for the the '99 yep. outdoor season. So yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, I shot Ricky a little bit over the next few years like i say, i wasn't going to every race back then you know 97 98 i probably went to five or six races a couple of out, uh, five or six supercross a couple of couple of outdoors maybe and you know i was just watching watching from the outside you know and, um i think i went it must have been before 2003 so maybe um i'm not sure what year it was i went to ricky's the goat farm in florida for the first time and i was with um uh, Kenny Safford, who's an awesome graphic design guy that I've worked with over the years, and Kenny used to work at Alpine Stars, and Ricky was wearing Alpine Stars boots, and and uh, he was wearing Fox gear, but this was before Fox started making boots. So Ricky was an Alpine Stars guy, and right, Kenny and I went out there to shoot, just hang out for the day and shoot some photos while he was riding, and um, I think he he was on a 250 at that time, so. Was he on a Honda um, or uh, Honda or uh, Cowie? He was on a Cowie. Okay, so it's he was o- on a Cowie. Oh, his last year on Cowie was 01. Yeah, so it was, it, it was probably 2000 or 01. Yeah. Um, and you know, even at that point, he had won a lot of stuff. You know, he he was the guy, and I can remember talking to him. And I I'd met him a couple times, obviously over the years, and you know, I would consider him a friend at at that point um not kind of like the friend he is now but you know i as i've got to know him over the years since then but um i think i can remember talking to him at at the track and i was like i was like man you what's it like like you you're winning everything like how i mean what else can you do i mean this is awesome right and then of course he went on to win a bunch of stuff with with suzuki and honda and Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's just amazing like i think back like he had he'd barely started then. yeah you he thought he was great then stuff, he, and he hadn't had his perfect yeah, seasons he was just yet getting started yeah yeah and then i did a couple um books for with fox in uh 01 and 02 i think it was and um i had a sequence of ricky crack you know davy even talks about this to this day you know ricky had in the whoops i yeah in the whoops so fox used to fly me out there and back then it was a much smaller production you know they Sometimes somebody would go with me, but other times they'd be like, hey, here's three sets of gear. You're flying to Florida. Good luck, you know, kind of thing. So I'd go, and um, we, I think we shot one set of gear. He did some jumps, and the second set of gear, we did some turns and jumps, whatever. And then then he's like, oh, the third set of gear, I'm going to do a 20-lapper on the Supercross track. Can you just shoot it while I'm riding? So I'm like, yeah, no problem. So it's getting sort of late in the afternoon. The lighting's really good. And, he's out there and like he's going visibly faster than I'd seen probably anyone ride a supercross track before. I was like, wow. Cause he was, he'd been in boot camp. He was like top of his game. And then 
I think, you know, towards the end of his moto, he went into the whoops and mistimed it and went over the bars and the, the um, silencer, he was on a two-stroke, the silencer tip went in the back of his leg. And I can oh, remember yeah. him. The old uh, he's down. The stinger. Yeah, right. So he's down on all fours and there's blood running down the back of his pants and he like pulls the back of his pants down and, you know, right, right below where the bottom of his, of his boxer briefs would be, you know, like just above his knee, there was, there was this hole and it's, I'm just like, Oh, and then it's silent because there's nobody else out there. So, you know, I've been there since then and there'd be multiple people riding, but he was the only guy riding. And then his mom, Jeannie, came out in the in the car, loaded him in the car, and they're like, you can't tell anyone about this. So I was like, okay. So <laughs> I went back to my hotel and, you know, couldn't couldn't tell couldn't tell anyone at Fox, couldn't tell Davey, couldn't so I didn't say anything to anyone. And, you know, I think after that they they trusted me, you know, because I kept my mouth shut. And, you know, this is this was probably like late November of of, of the year before he was on a Honda, so okay. I can't remember what year it would be, but O two or um, yeah, O two or O three. Yeah, so he he had this crash, and I I didn't tell anyone, and ever since then, I mean, every time I go back there, his mom and dad are you know always very nice to me, and you know Ricky's Ricky's um, probably one of the top guys to to work with you know he's he he gets it he's like okay we got to do these photos let's do it and let's get it done so that you know obviously he when he's in boot camp and he's train training all the time it was difficult to squeeze stuff in but he always did it and we worked well together because i didn't mess around i got i got the job done and he could get back to doing what he needed to do you know so um that's one thing i've tried to do over the years there's there's other photographers i've heard of that you know it's like an all-day deal and it doesn't need to be like that because you know if you if you get get your stuff done you you just need to let the riders get back to what they need to be doing you know and then then the next time fox or someone's like hey we need to do a photo shoot they're like okay cool no problem whereas if you've if you've (laughs) taken you know 11 hours to get the shots they're going to be like, oh, great. I don't, want, I don't want to do another 11-hour photo shoot, you know. So if you can get it done quick and get it done properly and, and the client's happy and the rider's happy, then, then it's, it's, it's good for the next time you need to do it, you know. Definitely. I think that comes down to sort of uh, professionalism and respect for each other is, is that uh, you have a job to do. They have respect that you have that job to do and they're willing to let you take the time to do it as long as you're uh, very businesslike in the way that you could sort of uh, take it on and, and get that done and, and let them go about their business so they can get, get back to what they need to do to be successful. And, and, and you've been really successful with that for a lot of years, which is why um, at some point, like, I can only imagine the the number of, of um, contracts that you would have had at any given time, um, because you like the way certain brands become as, like aspiring brands like Fox or Alpine Stars. Um, in a lot of ways, Simon Cubby became an, an aspiring brand of photographers. You wanted your photos to have uh, that that uh, watermark or, or name attached to it, uh, almost to give it uh, a little bit of validity. And I can tell your cheeks are getting red uh, as uh, as I yeah. speak. So I'll <laughs> like 
I'm like, really? Okay. Cool. I'll cool it a little bit, but I'm serious, man. I imagine that there, there's a lot of people who wanted to work with you um, uh, for no other reason than that you're Simon Cubby, and and when you and anyone who works with Simon Cubby is pretty legit, especially when uh, if, if that that result roster includes guys like Ricky Carmichael or Damon Bradshaw or anyone else between. So I don't know if you remember, like um, I'm trying to think what year it was. Usually, be. probably I do. 2000. <laughs> yeah, if you can remember, I can't anymore. You're getting old, but. Now there was um there was a couple of like MXGPs at Glen Helen, so right. I'm thinking like 2011 or something maybe or right yep 10 10 um, 11 but anyway yeah. so I went like you know I went to shoot it because I was local down there and you know do some stuff for Racer X and um and I I was walking through the pit area and it, there wasn't many people there to be honest so it was it was actually quite a breath of fresh air because I had no yeah those were on well attended actually. Just, because it was hot yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I um, went to the KTM tent and I, I saw uh, uh, Marvin Muskin, and I was like, or Muskan. So I saw Marvin, and I'm like, I didn't know him, and I was like, again, stepped out of my comfort zone and went over and was like, Hey, I'm, hey, I'm Simon Cubby. I'm shooting stuff for Racer X, and he's like, I know who you are. I was like, What? Like how? Like it was, I was like, I was taken aback because like he knew he knew who I was, and I I couldn't really figure out why, you know. It was so stuff like that for me is just kind of I don't know how to take that. You're very it's, weird about it, odd. just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, when he said it, it was it's funny. awesome. He's like, I know who you are. I was like, really? Like, wow. So stuff like that is, you know, again, it's it's it, it's humbling, and I I like we we talked a little bit before before the show and um you know i i just sort of put my head down and do my own thing and just try and deliver good work and like i said earlier i don't really look at anyone else's stuff because by the time the race is over and i've done all my stuff i, I don't really want to see a dirt bike for <laughs> a couple of days and in photos so i didn't really start looking at other people's work and I got, I just got, I just got lucky, you know, I, I met the right people at the right time. And that's another thing, you know, you were talking earlier again about how, when people ask me, like, how can I get involved in this? And it's, there isn't really a path you can take. You know, I, I met, you know, I met Eric Johnson at San Diego and, you know, who knows what would have happened if I hadn't have just gone over and talked to him, you know? So these little things in your life and then I'm you know obviously through Eric I met Davey and then um, I used to go mountain biking a lot with uh, there was a professional mountain bike racer Tara Yanis and she used to race for Specialized and we actually used to go riding motocross together her and Mercedes Gonzalez and this is you know back in probably 2000 and we'd be driving out to a track and Tara would be on the phone with this lady called Sandy and Sandy was the specialized uh, mountain bike team manager and Tara was on the downhill team for specialized bikes. And anyway, Tara introduced me to Sandy one time and I was like, Hey, I shoot motocross. I'd love to do some stuff with Fox and, you know, cause Sandy, Sandy eventually, sorry. I mean, I skip, skipped a step. Sandy left specialized and became a uh, marketing department in uh, Fox racing uh, and cause it was in the same, same town. And, 
anyway, so I head up Sandy. I'm like, hey, I don't know if you remember. I, I met you once. I used to ride motocross with Tara, and I'd like to, can you know, can I, can I shoot some stuff for Fox? And all of a sudden, she's like, yeah. And I was like, well, okay. So then I started going to Florida, and then I think a year or two later, I did did those books with Fox. You know, Greg Fox there was like, hey, we want we want to do a pho- photography book with you uh, about the racing season, and uh, David Langren from Racer X designed it and laid it all out with you know through Davey, and uh, so that 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 was pretty cool to 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 be involved in that stuff as well. Um, so yeah, like working with Fox over the years has been great. Um, yeah, just not really sure where I'm going with this now, but, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to meet the right people at the right time, basically is what I'm trying to say. And, you know, it happened the same with, with, with Upshift as well. Um, one of the partners there, Chris Glassbell, he used to work for Suzuki's ad agency and I was doing photography and he was one of my clients back then. And then he worked for Yoshimura and, you know, he, He'd buy race win ad photos from me, and we had this great relationship. And um, you know, I I think I think the end of we used to ride mountain bikes together. And in 2016, he was burned out, and I was burned out. And I was like, hey, what about adventure bikes? And he's like, yeah, that would be cool. And we started started getting involved in that more, and we started Upshift. And we have another partner, Brandon Glanville, and Brandon has quite the history too. He he used to be. Uh, working for Scott and Smith. I was going to say, like, I know that name. Like, there's so many, yeah. uh, the the industry and, and the industries, the way they kind of cross over very much. So, like, there's a lot of, like, kind of, like, rotating cast members that will, will hold down multiple positions in the different areas. That's really neat. Yeah, and then he, his other, his other claim to fame uh, of many was that uh, he was sort of the marketing uh, director behind Verb Moto when it started. So, so Brandon was was um, behind the scenes there uh, when Verb Moto was was uh, taking off and becoming, you know, becoming the when the original Verb Moto when it started. So it was huge. Nine, yeah. Like nine, yeah, two thousand six right? through to like two thousand nine, they had like yeah. that video epic and all that stuff like i, I remember yeah. that i i graduated high school in 2006 and and prior to graduating like it i every single one of the, the school's uh desktop computers uh probably their 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 home screen was set to verbono thanks to me like i was just on there yeah. nonstop. yeah there you go well he he was the guy behind behind the curtain for that you know brandon was yeah so he has quite the history in, in motocross and um then they started meta magazine and brandon was instrumental in the start of that and i i don't know i haven't really asked him what happened and why he didn't end up there but there was some business stuff that went on that it's none of my none of my business so i just kind of leave it at that but we at chris and i from upshift you know chris glassball who i just talked about we we did it ourselves for seven or eight months the magazine and we realized that we needed help and uh, Chris knew Brandon because Chris used to buy ad space from Brandon at Verb Moto for Suzuki stuff and for uh, Yoshimura stuff. And Brandon was like, no way I'm, I'm done with Moto. I, I, I've been burned. I, I'm, I'm over it. I don't want to be involved in Moto anymore. And then a couple months later, he actually came back to us and was like, Hey, you know what? I've done my research and I really think that this dual sport and adventure bike thing has a lot of potential and could really take off. So 
you know, here we are four or five years later and it's sort of, it's starting to happen, you know? And, uh, um, so I'm, I'm very fortunate to have these two guys to work with and, you know, it's the same as like working with Davey and Eric Johnson. They kind of let me do what I want to do as far as the photography goes. And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to Iceland in two weeks and I'm taking Randy and we're going with this guy. And, and they're like, yeah, cool. So I'm got, I'm going for 10 days and it's going to be an, an, an amazing adventure. And they, they want me to go do that stuff. So I, I've almost got like the perfect job for, for my, um, skill set and mindset these days to be honest so you know with upshift i've been fortunate enough to do some trips i went to vietnam we went to india wow. in 2018 which was like you know literally a mind-bending trip i mean it was it was just incredible and there's actually uh upshift online youtube channel if anyone wants to go check out some of these videos definitely um, will and we'll attach that in the uh, the link description on this podcast yeah, that's that's great. And then, you know, it's upshiftonline.com is the website. But, yeah, these trips, and we, we've actually dipped our toe in a little bit to um, uh, bike tests and that and uh, some of the videos and doing these bike builds where you take a stock bike and then you're like, okay, we got the suspension done by these guys and we got seat concepts, did a seat. And, we, you know, Chris, Chris Upshift is amazing graphic designer, so he's he's come up with, a lot of uh, um, graphic kits for adventure bikes and dual sports that aren't really out there. And Chris has had to, with his experience from working with Suzuki and their road race teams and like kind of stuff, he, he's got the skills to make his own die lines and all this stuff for these adventure bikes. Cause none of that stuff really exists. So uh, it's been good. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just really fortunate to have these two guys to work with. And I still, do some stuff with racer X now and again. Um, I actually connected with Spencer Owens, who we talked with earlier. Um, Spencer shoots some video stuff at the test track and I edit the stuff and deliver it all to racer X. So I still got my hands in it a little bit, but I'd be, I'd be, uh, um, lying to myself if I, if I said I was as involved as I used to be, because it's just not true anymore. You know, I, I'm fortunate enough to with, uh, to have connected with Mike Emery and Rich Shepard and uh, Align Media, Align with us, um, right? And it's you know I I I killed myself at the races 2013 to 2016. I was doing everything myself, so that was the era when uh, I, Steve, I think Steve Guyverson and I started sending images immediately from the track. So like Dungey would jump the finish line, do a fist pump. I'd have a transmitter on my camera sending images directly to an iPad and then I'd go on the iPad straight away. I remember seeing you do that at, at Millville that year. I was, and I was like literally yeah. watching you do it. I was like, holy crap. He just posted yeah. to Instagram from the yeah. sand whoops. And, and it's like, it's one of those things again, like we, we talked about earlier. It's like, be careful what you wish for because it's like, yeah, okay. I'm, we're beating everyone else to the punch and our stuff's up quicker and every, you know, Al. Instagram numbers went through the roof. However, to to do it, it's extremely stressful. So yeah, you know, you, it really you, is. You're looking. You, you're not looking at what's going on around you. You're looking at your iPad and oh, there's no signal. Oh, I got to try again. I got to try again. Oh, it's not going. Okay, now it's gone. You know, so it's and then you multiply that by, you know, seven or eight other clients, 
and it becomes quite challenging. And, um, you know, nobody really wanted to pay more for it. You know, it was like, it just became part of the, part of the deal you had, you know? Um, yeah. It was so, the same price, but now it's instant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was challenging for sure to, to, to pull that off. Um, yeah, but I, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place right now and I'm fortunate to have the support of Chris and Brandon at Upshift and the support of Davey at Racer X and his sister and his mom. And then, uh, you know, Mike and Rich at Align, you know, it's, it, like I was saying, you know, back then I used to, I used to do all that stuff myself and, now having a couple guys at the race to spread the workload is, is much better. And, uh, you know, Rich, Rich Shepard is, is literally a workhorse. The guy he is. is unbelievable. He's, he's, he's the toughest guy I've ever met. He's gnarly. He got hit by a bike at the Houston this year. Supercross. Yeah. And dude, I think he went to the race. He went to Indy like the week later or the, the race after that. And, like the dude broke like 12 ribs and he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, how is that possible? Like I, cause I flew into Houston cause Rich got hurt. And I, I, uh, I think, well, yeah, he got hurt. Uh, I, uh, that's right. There was two Houston's. Duh. There we go. He got hurt at the first one. Yeah. 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 And then I flew in and I remember going to the hotel when I landed and he's sitting in the chair in his hotel room. And I'm like, I'm like, you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> so he, Rich is Rich is a gnarly dude, if you want to use that terminology, and uh, he's become a really good friend. And I, I have a lot of um, a lot of respect for Rich Shepherd, and uh, he's just a great guy. And then Mike Emery is, he's just a good person. You know, I I got nothing but good things to say about Mike, and he just so happens to be an incredible photographer. So you know rich and mike working together is is amazing and you know i'd hope in the future there's some other guys we can work with you know spencer being one of them spencer owens and then right um we we work with another guy cole beach who uh is a video guy primarily he shoots a lot of the failed stuff and um rich had some family stuff he had to deal with last summer and uh we got cole beach on board and it was cole and mike at the races mostly and Cole's, you know, he, you know, these guys like Cole, I think he's, he's, he's under 25 for sure. He's, he's a young guy. And then Spencer, I think he's 23. And yeah, you know, these, but, these guys are, are, are the future. I wish, I wish I was in their position when I was, when I was 23, that's for sure. You know, I, it took me a long time to get to where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing it now. I'm good. Um, but you know, I, I've seen a lot of stuff happen over the years, you know, switching from film to digital and, you know, you see uh, racers come and go and um, uh, media changing from this this sort of uh, artistic form as a printed magazine changing into a two-inch square instant photo, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been, that's been interesting. But, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to... I'm happy and and if you want to use the word blessed to be able to have done all that stuff, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy for my career and and what I've been able to do and um, I I 
I'm the first person to put my hand up and say I owe it all to these other people because they gave me a chance, you know? Definitely. And it sounds like you take a lot of pride in being able to to hand that uh that opportunity to the to the next guy who uh who really wants to to take on that responsibility in a guy like Spencer. We've mentioned him a number of times on this podcast already and and, and he's a dear friend and honestly somebody who his humility is, is something that is a really understated in the fact that in twenty eighteen I actually borrowed a camera body from uh Round Dog Wilson and I was feverishly trying to get this thing to work couldn't figure it out and he's seeing me frustrated and he literally took time out of his day during press day his time to shine to to figure out um like the i had it in manual mode and he's like yeah you're way way off on this that's why you're taking super overexposed photos here do this and 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 actually took some a moment to show me what it is i needed to do to to take a really decent photo uh, with that camera and uh yeah like it just like just you know speaks to the the uh the heart and the uh integrity of a guy like that and uh no no yeah, doesn't sure. surprise me why um you wanted to work with a guy like that or even be around someone like that because uh yeah he's good people yeah i mean i've, I've met his parents they're awesome and his, his brother mason's a great guy and you know when I go to California, sometimes we take our little travel trailer down if we're going to go camping in the desert and ride or something. And, you know, I, I've more than once now, I've, they've let me park it at their property. And I'm like, are you sure it's okay? You know, can I leave this here for 10 days? We're going to go ride in Mexico and come back. Can I leave it here? And they're like, yeah, no problem. So these parents have been really great. And um, I think they appreciate me a little bit for, for helping Spencer and giving him a chance. I mean, I do these team shoots every year and um i need help you know we're shooting with strobes and it's very it's very work intensive days i mean we're 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 trying to make it look fun on the outside but we're killing ourselves and it's it's a lot of work and there's a lot of stress and you can't mess it up and you're dealing with the top guys you know whether whether it's you know cooper or marvin or zach osborne you know we're we're shooting for and roxon and you know the honda guys um so there's, we have a lot of stress and I rely on Spencer more and more at these photo shoots because I need help. I'm like, okay, we're doing, the, you know, we're shooting bike statics next and he knows what we need to do when we're shooting bike statics. So I can go over and talk to somebody from the team and then five minutes later come back and he's got the stuff set up and I'm like, okay, let's just move this one a little bit and this one a little bit. Okay, we're good. So he, that's a he, huge help. Yeah. He's picked it up. He knows what we're doing and I, you know, I've even, because I'm in Idaho now and all my gear is up here, but sometimes I'll just leave it at Spencer's for six months because I know I'm coming down again in a few months to, and I can just fly down, you know? So, nice. and I'll be like, Hey, can you meet me here on Tuesday and bring my stuff? He's like, yeah, no problem. So, uh, it's been good. And I, he's, he, he wanted it all to happen quickly, you know, and it just, it just doesn't happen quickly. So I have to help him a lot. Say, say, look, dude patience it'll happen you just be patient just keep plugging away but it's hard these days you know he he wants to get his own place i'm sure eventually and um you know he he's con he was contemplating getting a real job and i'm you know it's it's tough so i i was happy to be able to help him with some racer x stuff and then you know hopefully down the line we can get him on board to do some stuff for a line and uh just just see see what happens from there but like i say he's got time on his side he's 
23. So good luck. You know, he's got he's got a lot more years ahead of him to to get to even to be to be my age. You know, so um, it, it's funny. It, it took me a little while to wrap my head around being able to say, okay, you know, like you you talked about like Ricky, right? Like mm-hmm. he went out on top, and I I always thought about that it's funny you said that because that was like always my thing like if i'm gonna walk away i want to do it on my own terms i don't want to be like you know the sort of old guy hanger on guy that's just sort of still (laughs) there and you know i just yeah i just never wanted to be like that you know just get replaced by somebody who uh who's a better shutter bug than yourself yeah exactly (laughs) i don't want want that to happen so i left (laughs) yeah (laughs) you took your ball and and went home yeah, I just left, but no, I I didn't leave. You know, it's it's just it's just the, the program's changed a bit, and um, you know, these teams, you know, I I still feel like it's funny because when I stopped going to every single race, it was almost like when I saw some of the riders, it was like, hey, what's up? You know, it was like it was like better for me. You know, it was, it was weird, um, and and knowing the team managers and like. Like I said earlier, I didn't know much about motocross before sort of 96, 95 time. And, you know, when, when you can uh, go to the test track and Roger DaCosta talks to you and like, it's, it's just weird, you know? And everyone's like, oh, you talked to Roger? I'm like, well, yeah, like he's at the track. I don't, I don't know. And dealing with these riders and stuff, I think one of the things I, I was – good at if you want to say that was like I like I said earlier I I wasn't really a fanboy and obviously I have huge respect for all of these riders because they're unbelievably talented but I was never like oh it's Ken Roxon or oh you know it's just it's Ken Roxon and I know him I know him from a different angle than the regular fan that sees him at the sees him on tv or sees him at the at the uh, stadiums you know so you know, we've we've done photo shoots together, and we have a good laugh, and it's fun, and try not to take stuff too seriously. And they're just regular guys, but they just happen to have this superhuman skill. You know, yeah, it's quite it's quite, it's quite uh, tough to wrap your head around it sometimes. You know, and especially when you go on the track walk at Supercross, and you stand at the top of the takeoff of the triple, and then you see how far the landing is in real life. You're like, oh my god, there's no way. I'm ever, ever jumping this stuff. No. Um, We go to Ricky. One time we went to Ricky's house and he had this big jump down in the bottom and it's been in like some Fox posters and stuff like that. And he's like, he's like, he calls me Phil Collins because he thinks it's funny. So (laughs) (laughs) it is quite funny to be honest. He's like, Phil, Phil, how much money would it take for you to hit that jump right now? And we'd we'd like go back and forth and, try and come up with a figure and obviously I was never going to jump it, but uh, it's just kind of funny. And then, you know, doing these photo shoots down, down there too, it was always a good laugh because, you know, you get like Ivan Tedesco down there and it's just comedy, you know, they're just funny dudes laughing and having a good time. Yeah. Rick likes to have fun. I've been around RC a little bit. Like, like when you said you went to, you went to, uh, MXDN with that crew, like that absolutely yeah. motley crew of characters, Mitch Payton, Ivan Tedesco, Kevin Windham, like that's literally the who's who of likes a, a Bud Light at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. It was, 
So that yeah. trip, that trip was like, I think that that's one of the high points of my uh, race racing experiences, you know. Uh, and then the other one was like when Ricky retired at Orlando, I think it was '07, and yep. he was ra- racing with uh, with with James and. They were going at it pretty hard. It was funny because Ricky's, I think Ricky's wife had just had, just had the kids or something. Yeah, that was the night. It was like they had kids on the Friday and they raced on the Sunday. Yeah, and you're just like, you're like, you haven't got anything else in your brain, and he's like just going for it. And I was like, this is your last race, and I'm sure he wanted to go out on top, and I don't think he won that night. I think James picked him to the finish line, but. uh, yeah, that was that was pretty cool too. I remember that, dude. And, so and, many. It's well, I mentioned Scott you. Taylor as well. Scott Taylor was uh, a Fox guy, and he he was Ricky's Ricky's go to guy over the years. And you know, again, it's 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 one of those things where you you meet these people, and Scott's just a good guy. And it was it was a pleasure to work with him over the years. And you know, um. We had we had mutual respect, and I could show up to do a photo shoot, and they knew they knew it would be fun and quick and good, and then they could just move on. So um, Scott was actually involved with Red Bulls, um, uh, not Red Bull, well Red Bull KTM's uh, flat track team. Uh, so he okay. he helped me do a couple couple photo shoots for them last year, and that was pretty cool. Um, but it's funny, yeah. You, you you meet the same people uh, throughout the years in, in different capacities and in, in different working for different companies. So that's pretty neat. Definitely, there there's people who really uh, they they really kind of move all over the sport and, and kind of sometimes into one sport and then back into another, uh, all all centered around the sport of motocross. Uh, and, and that's maybe the the beauty of it. Uh, man, we could we could do this for uh, uh, another hour easy uh i know you you've uh-huh. probably got uh better things to do than just uh go down memory lane with a random canadian uh but i think there's I this go is gonna watch, have to be uh, the <laughs> uh i think there's gonna be have to be a round two because uh, i have so many more questions about uh working with certain guys and photo shoots and this that and the other thing but i do love that um in a lot of ways and we talked about this off air of, of how disposable uh, the job can feel is, is that the like you you take a photo on Saturday and, and no one cares by Monday afternoon uh, and sometimes I feel the same way about some of the podcasts that I do that I literally I, I'll see a podcast that doesn't get a single listen past like after being released for ten days uh, and I I don't think that this is not going to be one of them this is going to be one that people dig into the archives uh, to listen to but I hope that people um, look into the catalog that is. Um, Simon Cudby through a, a line with us. Uh, you offer prints, I believe, which is so cool. Um, I, I'm currently in yeah. a 700 square foot apartment uh, that does not yet quite deserve Simon Cudby on the walls. Mostly just a bunch of old yeah, well, cross and hockey stuff. Uh, but how well, do how do people print, get connected with that? Yeah, sorry to sorry to interrupt you. That's all. Uh, the print thing, basically, last year when we sort of Rich and Mike and I sort of came up with a plan for a line, you know, basically Rich was shooting all the races by himself and he's like, I need help. And he, he connected with Mike and then, you know, he's kind of like, yeah, we should just align the three of us. And that became sort of 
Align Media, and um, I had I had a lot of lot of accounts, and we were able to turn turn this thing into that. And basically, the first thing we did, and this was Mike Mike's Mike's quite the visionary. Mike Emery, he he has big plans for Align, and for me, it it's a it's a different thing because I have other things going on. So, you know. Align is really uh, Mike and Richie's company, and I'm a part of it, but not on paper. So um, we just work together as as a, uh, a handshake deal, which and we we trust each other. And um, but Mike's plan, <laughs> we we got. Uh, I used to shoot for Fox for a long time, and then somehow they started using someone else, and that was fine. But then Mike had a relationship with some, uh, you know, a, a per, not a relationship. Mike knew somebody at Fox who, um, you know, what, what, what he was friends with. And, you know, we ended up, they called us back in and we had a, we had a meeting with them and they were like very complimentary about me and very, you know, they, we knew that Mike was this great photographer as well. And um, Mike's idea was to have a Fox, uh, uh, sort of a, a art show, a, a photo gallery show at, at Fox before the first round, and uh, basically we did a we did an auction of prints there for uh, Road to Recovery and the Caselli Foundation, and um, we we were able to donate some money there, but the cost of making the prints and doing all the legwork that Mike did uh, for the easels and the 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 shipping and all you know it it wasn't as big as we thought it would be and we did have some prints left over so what we did was I think Mike sold those on um, but there's not really an official plan in place where okay. uh, somebody could go on and and buy a print but that is something that I might do myself um, you know I have I have a big archive of photos and I get hit up from people occasionally like hey how can I get a giant print of this photo and you know, nine times out of ten, I just don't have time. So I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry, but I just, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm leaving to go on this trip tomorrow, and I won't be back for two weeks. You know, kind of thing. And just managing something like that is is a lot more than it might seem. So um, that's something in the future. And I actually talked to Davy Coombs about some stuff like that today, and we'll see, we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, I, as far as Align and the Prince thing, that was more of a more of just for that Fox art gallery. And like I say, we had some stuff left over and uh, I think we got some uh, more prints made for the um, St. Jude's uh, fundraising with Supercross and some people bought some of those prints and uh, yeah, it's, it's been pretty good, but yeah, I, I haven't really thought too hard about it, but I've had people tell me like, you should do this. And it's just like, I don't have time, you know, I'm just, I'm busy. Spread a bit thin. Yeah, I'm busy. So. I'm busy having fun on two wheels. Yeah, I gotta go ride. Yeah, like, yeah. And you're finally getting back to it, man. I I love to hear that. And like I've said, there's so many guys who they want to be they want to be a photographer or they want to be a mechanic because they love riding their motorcycle. And I tell a lot of guys like, if you want to ride motorcycle, don't work in the industry. Go yeah, get sure. a job that allows you to go ride your motorcycle. That that is what you. Yeah, can you? Yeah, like the mechanics. Like, I mean, I thought I worked hard, but oh, geez. Like at least you know, I'd fly Friday morning, get to the get to wherever it was Friday afternoon, late, and 
go try to get some dinner, go to the hotel, go to bed early, go to the race. And I, you know, bust my, <laughs> bust my balls a little bit on a Saturday, you know, working really hard and getting out of there late. And, you know, you sometimes you get back to your room at 1am and sometimes you'd have a 6am flight. So you're like, okay, now I got to make myself go to sleep. I'm totally wired from the race. And then I got to get up in three hours to go to the airport. But then at least when I got home Sunday, I do a bit more work. And then come Monday morning, you know, I could usually chill out Monday and maybe Tuesday and maybe do some other race wreck stuff Wednesday, Thursday, and then leave again. But these mechanics, like their day off was like when they landed in Orange County at noon after flying from the East Coast, you know, for, for seven or eight hours total. And then they go home and then they're back, they're back in the, the office on Monday morning or the, the, the race shop just cranking it out and it's just I can't believe how much work those guys do and that was one of the biggest surprises when I went to my first race I remember talking to Randy Lawrence um, when he was Jeremy's mechanic and I was looking at the bike I'm like is this this bike looks like brand new how how is that possible every every time I see this bike it looks like new how do you keep it so good he's like man we we just run through a lot of parts and it's got to it's got to look good for the sponsors and you know, Jeremy wants to get on a bike that's dialed in every time and looks like a new bike. And um, so that that was a big opener. But yeah, full uh, props to all the mechanics that I've worked with over the years and flown on all these planes with. And um, I've I got some good friends in the industry. And uh, you know, the, the Frankie and Carlos at KTM and Mike Williamson when he when he was at Cowie and right. you know. All the all the Geico guys. When I did the Geico team shoot, we'd have a good laugh and fun, and they were always bending over backwards to help us out during the day when we we're doing the photo shoot. Like, hey, what can we do to help to make this more streamlined? And, and yeah, it was just really cool, and and just just making making these bikes look incredible every single time they go out on the track. So yeah, those those guys work hard. <laughs> like I I'm complaining I was working hard. Those guys have a have it tough, you know. So, uh, yeah, big, big respect to all, all the mechanics out there and the team guys. No kidding. And one thing I've always wanted to ask is why do you always make Jeremy Martin look so short in those Geico shoots? That is not my uh, fault, to be honest. Um, <laughs> He's just that tiny. Yeah. Hit, between him and that's, Zach Bell, that's... who's smaller? Uh, I think Jeremy, maybe. I don't know. They're little. Yeah, yeah, he's a. I like him a lot. He, yeah. I like him. He's really. He's different to the other riders, and and I like him for it. You know, he's. That's totally, that Midwest. You, know, totally that you, you can tell yeah. he's from Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a good guy. And I I really like his brother Alex as well. I yeah. really like him a lot. And every time I see him, he has a big smile. And he's like, "What's up, Kobe?" And it's cool, you know. Like, I don't know. It's just they're they're just nice guys, and you know, I I think. Uh, their upbringing for their family over there at uh, Spring Creek. It's, it's been good for sure. Fair enough, man. Well, like I said, there's going to have to be a round two because uh, I could probably sit down and think of 50 more questions that I have for you, but this has been fantastic and amazing. We'll probably talk off air a little bit, which no one gets to listen to. They can yep. be jealous of that. Um, but this huh. has been fantastic. I really appreciate the time, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice, well played. <laughs> no, that's good. No, I really appreciate it too. And you know, I'm I'm glad we were able to connect a couple of weeks ago. And you you invited me to do this. And 
you know, I, I, uh, I'm glad I'm I didn't tag you for and... credit on the photo then. That's right. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> See, if you hadn't, if you hadn't, if you'd have done it, I wouldn't have seen it. Exactly. No, maybe I would. I don't know how that works anymore anyway, but, uh, no, again, I, I really appreciate it. And, and thank you to everyone that's helped me over the years. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to writing a lot more and um, I'd love to come back on again next time. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. I re- really appreciate it, Brad. Thanks. Absolutely. Anytime we have a chance to go down memory lane is uh, is a great one. I love those trips. Well, thank you so much for making some time on the Big MX Radio podcast. Do not hang up just yet, Simon. But for, for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. That is an hour 